I'm glad to be here. You know, the Bible says God, we make our plans, but God brings the outcome. And uh, I'd made my plans for this coming Sunday, uh, but God had a different plan in mind. I, matter of fact, I was looking forward to Beverly speaking. I'd called Sam earlier in the week, and I heard she was going to speak, and I said, Sam, you make sure you put that on Facebook. Tape it, do something, because I, I know Beverly has something to say. And I wanted to hear what she had to say. Then I got a call later on in the week. Pastor Sam says, Beverly stuck. She was on the airplane. They had to de-ice it. They de-ice it. Then they deplaned her. And uh, they were trying to figure out what to do next. And uh, said she may have to spend a couple of nights at the airport. Uh, but Sam did make his way to get her. And uh, Beverly is with uh, Sam. And, and I'm sure she's not regretting being able to spend a little bit more time with her son uh, in Colorado. But then they called me and said, can you come uh, uh, to preach at uh, Church on the Rock North this Sunday? And I said, sure I can. So I got up yesterday morning and I made my, made my way here. And let me say, my wife couldn't come with me this time, so I, tur- I always turned my automobile into a sanctuary, into an altar. And I had four hours of praying and preaching this message that I'm about to share with you in just a moment. Woo! Man, I preached it to myself several times. I was preaching hard. I don't know what people thought about me. I'm glad my windows are tinted because I'm I'm doing this. I'm I'm, I'm preaching. And I I don't know what people are thinking about me, but I'm, I'm preaching and I'm praying and I'm... I'm worshiping and I'm seeking the Lord and I had those four hours to do just that. And I know that what I'm going to share this morning is a a word from the Lord. Uh, I know you've been in a series on walking like Jesus. I know you've had some great messages on that. As I thought about that series, I, I thought about something I'm going to uh, share with you today about prayer, but, and it's important that I'm here today doing that, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. Uh, you look at the life of Jesus, and the life of Jesus consisted of this. He'd go from one prayer place to another prayer place, and in between he would work miracles. He'd go up to a mountain, spend all night in prayer, come down and cast out demons. He'd go up to a mountain, pray all night, and go walk on water. He would end up on a particular city, and he would cast demons out of a demon-possessed man. He would heal a blind man. And the disciples would watch him. And they watched him go from prayer place to miracle working, prayer place to casting out demons. And one day the disciples came to him and said, Lord, we've been watching you. We've noticed something happens when you pray. And we want you to teach us to pray. They didn't say teach us to work miracles. Don't teach us to preach. But teach us to pray. Because we notice something happens when you pray. And you know, Jesus' public prayers were not very long prayers. They, They were just short prayers. Most of them were declarations. And he stood by the tomb of Lazarus. He's about to raise someone from the dead. And he did pray. But he said, Father, I'm praying this prayer. I know you hear me. I'm not praying it for me. I'm praying this for everybody around here so they'll know that this is a miracle. And so Jesus prayed those be healed kind of prayers. 
But he would spend all night in prayer. One time he was healing the sick and casting out demons all night long, way into the early morning hours. And then those people left, and the Bible says, Jesus, rising up a great while before day, went off by himself to a quiet place. Even after ministering all night long, he knew he had to pray. I began to think a few weeks ago about my prayer journey. I was in early morning prayer. I have an early morning prayer time with a group of men on Tuesday mornings at 5 a.m. and on Friday mornings at 5 a.m. and then again at 6 a.m. And I was in that early morning prayer time a week or so ago and I was praying and I would begin to reminisce about my prayer journey. Now, I was in the church that I pastored for 30 years. It's in Duncanville and I was in... Uh, the church and in the sanctuary and we were having our prayer meeting and I sit down in my place of prayer. I have a place of prayer. And I had my place of prayer and I had my Bible and I began to reminisce about how God had led me these 40 plus years into the place of prayer. And I began to say, Lord, thank you. Here I was again at 5 a.m. still seeking Him early in the morning. And I began to think, let me think back about where this journey began. You know where it began? Now, this is why it's important that I'm here today. You know where my prayer journey began? Began 35, 40 years ago in the home of Sam Walker and Beverly Walker in Duncanville, Texas. They had a home on Cedar Ridge Road. I lived around the corner. We had a group of young men that were hungry for the things of God. Larry Lee was our youth pastor and we became hungry to want to know more of God. And we began to seek God together. We made a decision. Let's gather for early morning prayer. We heard about it. Jesus rising up a great while before day. Wouldn't pray. Early will I seek thee, the psalmist said. So we began to meet at 5 o'clock in the morning at the home of Sam and Beverly Walker. We were just newlyweds. We had some kids, but they were babies. And I would get up and I would go to Sam's house with my cup of coffee. He'd have coffee on. In the wintertime, he'd have the fireplace going and a few of our friends would join us. And as I was reminiscing, sitting there in that early morning prayer time, I think, oh Lord, thank you. Thank you for leading me to the place of prayer like you have. Thank you for my friends that are on this prayer journey with me. And I began to text Sam. I said, Lord, I just said, Lord, Sam, I was just sitting here thinking about our journey in prayer. I want to thank you for being a part of my prayer journey. And I text a friend of mine, John Tracy, who was joining us at that time. And I text Kirk Dearman and Dan Aleman, some friends. And some of our friends who were with us then did not live long enough to see what we're seeing today. They died young. But they were there in those early times as we sought God. And how I'm so thankful to the Lord that He taught me to pray. And as I wake up, it's a habit now. You know, I, I, I often say this, if I miss one day of prayer, I know it. Well, I just don't feel right. I miss my 
early time with God, overslept. What's up with that? If I miss two days of prayer in a row, my wife knows it. She knows something's wrong. Man, what's wrong with you? I'm a little grumpier. Just not right. If I miss three days of prayer, everybody's going to know it. So it's important that I don't miss one day of prayer. And if I'm not going to the church to pray, I'm up early in my home praying and seeking the Lord. I wondered if I would do that. I thought over the years, after I stopped pastoring the church, what if I pray as much? Because usually I was praying because I was desperate. Oh, I need a word from God for Sunday. And I was desperately seeking Him for the people of the church. And I thought, I wonder if I'll still pray after I get through pastoring. Well, guess what? Two years ago, I turned the church over to a young man, younger man, should I say. And I stopped pastoring the church and took over as president of Church on the Rock Network of Ministers. But I realized something. Prayer was deep inside of me. And every morning when sometimes the alarm goes off, sometimes I just wake up. And I made a decision a long time ago, if I wake up, it's time just to get up. Make your way to that place of prayer. And I'm still doing it these 40 plus years later. And Pastor Sam and Beverly, right at the beginning stages of our prayer time, I thought, wow, this is awesome. Because a week or two ago as I was in prayer, the Lord began to stir in my heart a message that I am to take to all of the network of churches that I'm helping oversee. And this is the first church that I'm coming to with this message. As I was sitting in that early morning prayer time, I realized and in my spirit, that spiritual warfare has intensified. Uh, Satan knows his time is short. He is opening every door, opening every closet of darkness he has. And he's telling the principalities and powers and the rulers of those darkness, he's saying, now come on out. Everyone's coming out of the closet now. Why? Because he knows his time is short. The intensity of warfare has increased. But I was sitting there in that early morning prayer time saying, Lord, I wonder if the prayer intensity has increased to match up to the spiritual warfare intensity. Have I increased my intensity? Have I pressed in? Because I realize there's a battle going on right now like never before for our children. God help us. Have you ever heard, and I I, I don't think in all of my almost 50 years of ministry or 66 years of living on this earth, have I ever seen children committing suicide? Eight, nine, 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds. One young man in the Metroplex where I live, a child, because he was being bullied at school, walked into the restroom at school and hung himself. The devil doesn't play fair. He does not play fair. 
I saw the news this week where now the story is 50 Muslims were killed in New Zealand going to the place of prayer. They were murdered by a right-wing extremist terrorist. I saw that within the past five weeks, 120 Nigerian Christians have been murdered in their homes. I watched television, and what was on television 20, 30 years ago, maybe they would give us a little taste of something, and we would go, oh, no, oh, that's, not, that's not of God, oh, no. And they would just give us a little taste. The devil doesn't come with his lies just all of a sudden. You say, oh, that's a blatant lie, unless you're walking in the Spirit. But usually in the world, what does he do? He goes, drip, a lie, drip, drip, drip. Some years ago, I watched a television show, and it was one of the first shows that I'd seen where they were introducing homosexuality over television. And I balked. I said, oh, no, man, that's, that's not God. And that was a radical thought to be on regular television. But what was radical then has become normal now. And what you're going to consider radical today, if you're not careful, in just a few years, it will be normal. I was passing through. I was going to watch the news the other night. I was about 10 minutes early for the news, so I flipped it on the channel. And there was a program called SWAT. Anybody ever seen SWAT, new television program? I've not watched a full program of that, but I just was waiting on the news, so I watched it, and something, they, here comes a drip, another, a drip from Satan. They introduced something, had nothing to do with SWAT, but here was one of the SWAT team members, a lady, speaking to one of the other team members, they were alone, and she says, oh, I, 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 I want to ask you a question. He said, what do you want? I need some help. She goes, what is it? He said, what is it? She said, you know, I'm in love with, and she mentioned a woman's name. You know, I'm in love with her, don't you? I really thought we had something special. But then I heard that she's about to get married to a man. He said, well, what, what do you need? Well, they've asked me if I would like to join their relationship. And he said, well, you know, I've never known you to take advice from anyone. How does it make you feel? Do you really think you love her? Oh, yes, I love her. Do you think you could fit into this relationship? Well, I think I could. Well, I believe you just need to do what you feel. And I watched that just in a, and I realized, uh-oh, drip, drip. We think, ooh, that's That's radical. We wouldn't think of something like that, but the enemies opened up all the closets of darkness and said, come on out now. And many times people will watch that on television and they'll go, oh man, that's not right. And they'll watch it again the next week and the next week. You know what's dripping now? Little eyes. 
concerning pedophiles. Drip, drip. There's some psychologists saying, oh, they can't help it. They're just born that way. They like children. Drip, drip. We're appalled by it. It's radical. But what's radical today? If we're not careful, in a few years, we'll come normal. And you say, it couldn't happen. Well, what I'm seeing today, I thought couldn't happen 30 years ago, but it's happened. The devil does not play fair. He kills Muslims, Christians, men, women. The devil is after you. And he's sure after the church. You know, the church, I grew up, my father was a pastor. And when he was a pastor, came to uh, a church in Dallas in 1959. He pastored there till 1978, till he went to be with the Lord. And when he was a pastor, the position of pastor was an honored position. They would call you Reverend Knatzer. And if you went to a store or a restaurant and they found out you were a pastor, oh, they would say, oh, we're glad to have you here. It's an honor for you to be here and for you to do business with us. And it was an honored position. But it's not that way anymore. It's no longer an honored position as far as the world. It is to me from the sake of Christ, it's an honored position. He's honored me, putting me into the ministry. But as far as the world is concerned, it's no longer an honored position. Because some preachers have done some shady things. Some, in the name of Christianity, have done some things that are contrary to the Word of God. And now they lump you in with everybody else. Oh, you're one of those, I see. The devil is a liar. I have never heard in the past five years of pastors, I don't know if I ever heard of this before, pastors who have committed suicide. This year, a pastor of a mega church in California battled with mental illness, depression, and apparently he thought the only way out is to take my life. A pastor of a multi-campus church, successful, took his own life, leaving behind a wife and children. It's happening. Pastors getting caught up in addictions, prescription drugs, drugs, alcohol. Pornography, they get a hook in their jaw and they just can't seem to get delivered. And some, one pastor in my own community, they found him in his hotel room overdosed on drugs. The devil does not play fair. The intensity of his warfare has increased. And sometimes we just sit back and go, oh man, what are we going to do? Sometimes we just want to hide out and say, Lord, 
please come get us out of this mess. But I'm here to declare, like Jesus, he said the gates of hell, listen to me, he said the gates of hell are not going to prevail against his church. Because his church is built upon the rock, and that rock is Jesus. But I'm here to challenge you today to begin to pray like you've never prayed before. And everybody, I trust everybody in this room has a prayer life of some sort. I'm just as you take a step up in your prayer life. Let's intensify our prayer life. And especially, let's intensify our prayer life for our pastor. Now, I, the Lord put this on my heart. He said, I need you to go. It's, it's time for you to go to church to church, and I need you to encourage the people of the church to pray for their pastors like they've never prayed before. Because the Bible says, if you smite the shepherd, you'll scatter the sheep. I know firsthand how that works. As I said, my father pastored a church 1959 to 1978 till he was struck with cancer. We had a church of 4,000 people. People all around the world were praying for him. And for whatever reason, we'll only know when we get to heaven. And when we get to heaven, we won't care why the Lord took him. But the Lord allowed him to go be with, with him. And the church, Beverly Hills Baptist Church at that time, a thriving church on the front lines of the Southern Baptist Charismatic Movement, all of a sudden the shepherd had been smitten. And the church began to scatter. Now there is no longer Beverly Hills Baptist Church. Church on the Rock in Rockwall was my next place of service. After two years of leaving Merritt Hills Baptist Church, I ended up in Rockwall with Larry Lee. And the enemy came to attack our shepherd. Some of you were around when that happened. They lumped him in with a group of men who were doing some shady things. And they lumped Larry in. He was on primetime television, a news show. They told him, you're the next Billy Graham. Can we interview you? We were filling up stadiums all across our nation, and we were praying, leading people in prayer. We filled up Candlestick Park and led a great prayer meeting. We were in Chicago and Florida praying and seeking God, and the enemy came in. I remember being in San Francisco, and as we were in San Francisco, we were on our way into that prayer meeting. And... The San Francisco community, uh, mostly the homosexual community, said, we don't like this. We're going to push back. We showed up, got out of the car. I had my wife and a couple other ladies with us, and we began to walk into the venue where we were going to have prayer meeting, and we were met with hostile forces like I'd never seen before in my life. They were throwing eggs, and they were doing their best to stop us from entering in and they'd stopped everybody at the doors because they were having to check handbags because somebody had threatened 
to shoot Larry Lee. And as we stood at the doors, there were people with signs and uh, rude things they were hoisting in there, and as we were walking in, I had a transvestite, about six foot four without his high heels, but with his high heels, he was rather large and very angry, and he came up to our little group, and he began to cuss, ask us what we were doing in his city. They did not want us there, and he was cussing, and just... I mean, it was demonic. And I told the ladies, told my wife, I said, y'all just keep walking, just keep walking. Let's just keep moving. Don't respond. We made our way, finally made our way in. We sit down on the front row and we went through that prayer meeting. After the prayer meeting, we had discovered that there was a gentleman sitting beside my wife who was a Satanist priest. And he had come, somehow he made it in, he had a pistol in his boot. And he'd come there to kill Larry Lee. But God intervened, and he got saved, born again. And what the enemy meant for death and destruction, God turned around for something good. Well, we're getting closer to the end of time. As I said, every closet now, closet of darkness has been opened up, and principalities in power. Let me just say this too. Years ago when our nation first started, we had immigrants coming over. And, and, and your parents, my immigrants came from Germany and they migrated here into the United States. And Most of the people who came here came for one reason, we want to be an American. And they came with some kind of religious background, most of them. Usually it was Catholic or Episcopalian, Greek Orthodox, but they came with some sort of perspective on the Word of God and the Bible. So when they came, they just seemed to fit right in, and revival would break out, and they would join right in. And You know, most of all of our universities and colleges that began, began because they were training young men and young women to preach the Word of God. Princeton and Yale and the Ivy League schools all started so they could learn, teach young men to preach the Word of God. That has changed now. I'm, I'm all for immigrants coming into our nation. I am. Because uh, most of us don't have the opportunity to travel to other nations. And guess what? God said, okay, I'll bring them to you. And they're coming to us now. Because God wants them to receive the gospel. But many are coming not so they can fit into this nation or be an American. They're coming in with their agenda and the enemies allowed them to come in with their ideology and their religious beliefs that are contrary to the word of God. And you know what they bring with them? Demonic forces. Because we don't have, and, and many of us are... We look at the news and we see the political battles that are going on. It's really not a political battle. It's a battle of principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness. There's a lot of demonic forces being released across our nation right now. And it's time. And the only answer is the church. 
to be light in the midst of the darkness, to be a voice against the voice of the enemy, to be a resistance against the push of the enemy. The church is the answer. There's no other answer. And if we will step up, I promise you, there'll come a fresh anointing upon us and a power upon us that what the enemy meant for evil, God's going to turn it around. Let me read something to you. We're going to pray for your pastor here in just a moment, and we'll tell you how. The reason I'm doing that because... If the pastor is strong, I believe the church will be strong. If the pastor is weak, the church is going to be weak. The perfect pastor. A perfect pastor is the one who preaches exactly 15 minutes, but who shares with his people the wisdom of the ages. He condemns sins, but never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 to midnight and is also the janitor. He makes $100 a week, wears nice clothes, buys good good books, drives a nice car, and gives $90 a week to the church. He's a young man, but he spends most of his time with older folks. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his work. He makes 25 calls a day on church members, yet spends all his time evangelizing the young church and is always in his office. He preaches like Billy Graham, T.D. Jakes, and Joel Osteen all together. His church is always growing, but never too large. He preaches the gospel, but never offends or disturbs anyone. The only problem with that kind of pastor is he doesn't exist. You know, in a recent survey... And this is a little old survey, but in a recent survey, 72% of pastor surveys said they would leave the ministry if they could find another way of making a living. Out of the 758 surveyed, one out of three felt trapped in ministry. One in five were tempted to leave and do secular work. But let me just say something. There's not a sacred work and a secular work. Everything is sacred. We call what people in business in the market, but that's secular. No, that's not secular. That's sacred before God. All of us are doing sacred work, whether you're a preacher or whether you're a businessman. It's sacred before God. One in ten said they would leave the pastorate if offered more money. There's a battle going on right now. Now, some churches, some pastors need to leave the ministry. Some churches probably need to lock the doors because it's not a real living church where they're preaching the real gospel. But I want to give you, and you've got to help me because as I said, I preached this for four hours to myself. We could be here a while. The message of prayer is so deep in my spirit, I could talk about it for days. But I want to give you this quickly, and if you will take out a piece of paper, I'm going to have you take some notes, and it'll be easy for you to take these notes because I want you to write down these six things of how to pray for your pastor. Now, when I say praying for your pastor, this also fits you, okay? 
It's not just praying for your pastor. It really fits how to pray for yourself, how to pray for your family. But I'm going to give it to you this way just simply because I think it will make it easy for you to understand. If we'll write the word pastor down the sheet of a paper or down your phone, P-A-S-T-O-R, I'm going to give you these six things that will help you pray for your pastor. Paul said in Romans chapter 15, verse 30 through 33, Paul said this, Will you be my prayer partners? For the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and because of your love for me, given to you by the Holy Spirit, pray much with me for my work. Paul needed the prayers of those he administered to in the church. He was in jail in the book when he wrote the letter to the church at Philippi. Philippians 1.19, he says, now he's in prison. And he says, I, I am going to keep on being glad, even while here in prison, for I know that as you pray for me, and as the Holy Spirit helps me, this is all going to turn out for my good. Wow. He's in prison. And he said, I'm going to just keep being glad right here, because I know you're praying for me. And I know because of your prayers, everything's going to turn out for good. When Moses was on the top of the mountain and Joshua was in the valley fighting, remember that? And Moses got a little weary and he needed what? Aaron and Ur to come by sight. To lift up his arms. They put a rock under him and said, sit down Moses, we've got your arm. And as long as his arms were lifted up, and that staff he had was lifted up, Joshua would win the battle. And the Bible says, and Joshua won a great victory that day. But was it Joshua that won a great victory? Or was it Moses on top of the mountain praying with the help of Aaron and Ur? Even Jesus needed help. The last night he was to live on earth, he got his disciples together and they went to the place of prayer, the garden, where they often went to pray. And they, he, he said, man, I, I'm under... Heavy temptation here. I need your help. Will you pray with me? Took Peter, James, and John, and they went off separate from all the other men. Jesus says, man, stay right here and just pray with me. Just pray with me, would you? And he went off and he began to pray. He fought that battle he was fighting in that place of prayer. And he woke up and he came over and he saw Peter, James, and John sleeping. He said, man, don't you realize what's happening here? I need your help. Could you not watch with me just one hour? He went off again, and he prayed. And he came back. He looked again. And he says their eyes were heavy. They were trying to stay awake. He didn't say anything to him. He just went back and he prayed the third time. Then he comes back and said, it's over, men. Get up. Let's go. Moses needed help. Paul needed help. Jesus needed help. He needed somebody to pray for him. And I'm here to say we all need help. I need help. I used to kind of get embarrassed when people say, oh, I'm praying for you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll pray for you. 
I, I, you know, I, I'll pray for myself. I, I don't, you know, don't bother praying for me. But I realized a few years ago, man, I need all the prayers I can get. Now I'm sending out prayer requests. I need you praying for me. I've got a group of people that pray for me and the work I'm doing, me and my wife and the work we're doing with the network. And I said, Susan, it's time to send another prayer email. I'm headed to Beaumont. You send out a prayer request and tell them to pray for us. Pray for us. Because there's work to be done. And the warfare has intensified against the church and against the men and women of God. Now then, number one, how do we pray for our pastor? Number one, I want you to pray for his protection. Romans 15.31, out of the Living Bible says, Paul said, pray that I will be protected in Jerusalem from those who are not Christians. There are people that do not believe the Word of God like we believe the Word of God. And they are believing a lie. And they are coming against men and women of God. And Paul said, pray that I will be protected. Will you pray? Now, when you pray for your pastor, you really think about this. You can do this for yourself. But pray for his protection. 2 Corinthians 1.11 But speaking to the church, you must help us too by praying for us. For much thanks and praise will go to God from you who see His wonderful answers to prayers for our safety. So I'm going around preaching the gospel. I want you to pray for our safety. Peter finds himself in prison. King Herod had just killed James. And it pleased the crowd that James had been killed. So he arrests Peter, put Peter in prison, and his thought was, we're going to kill Peter. We'll execute him. That pleased the people so much. We'll just execute one more of these so-called Christians. But the Bible says in Acts chapter 12, that earnest prayer was going up to God from the church for his safety while he was in prison. Earnest prayer. There was a gathering in a home and they began to pray. James had been killed. Maybe they didn't pray as hard for James and realize he had been killed. Now Peter was in prison. They thought, oh, we better pray. And they begin to pray and lift up their voice and pray for Peter for his protection, for his safety. And all of a sudden, in the middle of that prison, an angel shows up. Peter thought he was seeing, a, it was just a vision, but it was really an angel. And a light shone around him. And the angel said, come on, Peter, let's get out of here. And finally, oh, this is real. And he grabbed his robe and the chains fell off of him. And the gate, this is the first time there was a remote, and the gate just opened up all by itself. And Peter left. And where did he go? He immediately went to the home where he knew the believers were gathered. And he knocked on the door. Young lady came to the door. She ran back and said, it's Peter. He's standing outside. Now, they had been praying for his release. He's standing outside. They said, oh, no, no, no. It couldn't be. It couldn't be Peter. He's in prison. That's just his angel. And Peter kept knocking. Finally, they went to the door. It was really Peter. 
They were praying for release, but they didn't have much faith. How much faith does it take to move the hand of God? It just takes enough faith to pray. They didn't have much faith he was really going to be released, but they prayed anyway, and God showed up, and he was released from prison because of the prayers of the church. Pray for your pastor, for his safety, for his protection. We won't take time. This is a whole other message. Psalm 91, write it down. That's the psalm of the heads of protection. He will give his angels charge over you to protect you wherever you go. When I was driving down here, I began to pray over my ride. And I said, Lord, put your angels around me. As I travel on these highways, put your angels around me. Heads of protection. Number one, pray for his protection. Number two, pray for his assignment. Your pastor has an assignment. I realize that I have an assignment. Guess what? You have an assignment too. When I was driving down here, I heard the Lord say, yeah, I've I got an assignment for you. This happened a few weeks. I've got an assignment for you. What is my assignment, Lord? I need you to take this message to the churches because there's some spiritual warfare going on and we've got to stand against it. I, I'm going to give you an assignment. Put this message together and go preach it wherever the door opens up. That's my assignment. I said, Lord... I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. Here's your assignment. I'm on an assignment here today. This is my assignment. God sent me here. Your pastor has an assignment. Colossians 4, 2 through 4 says, Don't be weary in prayer. Keep at it. Watch for God's answers. And remember to be thankful when they come. Don't forget to pray for us too. That God will give us many chances to preach the good news of Christ for which I'm in jail. Pray that I will be bold enough to tell it freely and fully make it plain as of course I should. Your pastor has an assignment. How long has he been? How long has Sam and Beverly been here? Since 97. For 20 years they've been here. He accepted the assignment back when we were going and learning to pray. He accepted the assignment to learn to pray. He accepted their assignment to be a junior high pastor. We knew him as Mr. Fun. That's what we called Sam. Mr. Fun, the junior high pastor. Then he accepted the assignment to lead worship at Beverly Hills Baptist Church during the transition as my father passed away. Pastor Sam, I wish you could. I've got a video of it somewhere. Little skinny old Sam up leading worship like you've never seen. He accepted that assignment. Then that assignment was over and he accepted the assignment to go to Church on the Rock in Quitman, faithful to that assignment. Then he answered the call to come to Beaumont. He accepted this assignment. And he's got an assignment. And he can't leave till this assignment is over with. Now he's got a sub-assignment. That's to go to Mexico and dig some water wells. But he's got an assignment from the Lord, and you've got to pray that he will fulfill his assignment. You've got an assignment. I don't know what your assignment is, but you've got it. Zechariah in First Chronicles 9, verse 21, Zechariah and his family had an assignment, it says, to be doorkeepers. There were 271. 
And they were assigned to protect the doors of the house of God. What an assignment to be a doorkeeper in the house of God. You've got an assignment. Pray that Pastor Sam will fulfill his assignment. Thirdly, pray for his strength. Can you do that? Pray for the strength of his spirit, the strength of his soul, the strength of his body. That he would be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Where is he going to get his strength? Isaiah 40, 31. They that what? Wait upon the Lord shall renew their what? Strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles and run and not be able to walk and not think. Where do you renew your strength? It's when you wait upon the Lord. That's in that place of prayer. Waiting doesn't mean you're laying on the couch eating chips. We say, well, I'm waiting on God. Now, waiting means, it's the word picture in Hebrew is like a vine wrapping itself around a tree. That's the word picture in Hebrew. You're wrapping. So when I wait upon the Lord, I'm wrapping myself around the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Psalm 37 says, wait on the Lord. Be patient on the Lord. Nehemiah, Nehemiah 8.10 says what? The joy of the Lord is what? What is it? It's my strength. So when you pray for your pastor, pray for your pray that he'll be full of the joy of the Lord. And there's nobody I know that can be so full of joy like Pastor Sam. He doesn't need to lose that joy. Because that helps us all, doesn't it? Helps us all. That he walks in the joy of the Lord because that is his strength. First Chronicles 16, 26. Splendor and majesty are before him, before God. Strength and joy are in his place. When we came in here this morning and worshiped, I mean, before church started, let me just say, the practice, praise and worship, was anointed. And I began to renew my strength, just listening. Y'all doing a great job. And it does, it's not just singing songs, it's something that happens in our spirit. Strength is released, joy is released. And then fourthly, or whatever the number is, would you pray, now this is important, Pray for his team. The T on pastor, his team. What am I mean? He's got a home team and he's got a away team. His home team is his family. Pray for his team. Pray for Beverly and Sam. The Bible says two are better than one because they have a great reward for their labor. It says if two of you shall agree, it's touching anything, I'll give you what you ask for. And there's no greater agreement than a husband and a wife if you can break through some of the other. The devil, again, he doesn't play fair. Why is it so difficult, men, to pray with your wife sometimes? You find it difficult? Anybody? Do you men find it difficult to pray with your wife? Some do, some don't. I find it difficult sometimes. Sometimes we have some moments of what I call, we don't have arguments, we have intense fellowship. And I've had some of those intense fellowship moments. And then I've gone off on a Saturday night to go to the church to pray. And get ready for Sunday morning. And I'm up at the church praying. And it's like my prayers are hitting a brick wall. Not getting anywhere. I said, Lord, what's wrong with this? And then he reminds me of my moment of intense fellowship. And he said, I'm not going to hear your prayer. 
Peter said, men, live with your wives with understanding. That tells me you can live with your wife not understanding sometimes. Live with your wife with understanding so your prayers will not be hindered. My prayers were being hindered because things were not right at home. And I, often I would go back, and that was the day you had an actual phone, and I had to go, we didn't have a cell phone, I'd go back, pick up the phone and say, Susan, I'm sorry. I have to apologize. I can't hear from God doing what I did. And she's always forgiven me. I'm glad I got a wife that forgives me. And she forgave me. And I would go back and then the heavens would open up. Got to pray. Husband and wife. Pray for their children. Let me Listen to this. If the devil can't get to me, you know what he'll do? He'll get to someone who's getting to them gets to me. You understand what I just said? He can't get to me. I'm strong. I'm going to fight him. I'm going to ward him off. He can't get to me. Then all of a sudden he'll get over here and he'll pick on my wife or he'll pick on my children. And now he picks on my grandchildren. And when he does that to them, ooh, it gets to me. When my grandson, Moses, many of you prayed for Moses when he was born and he's had three open heart surgeries and the enemy got to him, and I'm telling you, when the enemy got to him, it got to me. And his last open heart surgery, there was one day when they did not know if he was going to pull through. It was on a Monday, and I remember it, and I was in deep intercession. And I was weeping before the Lord. And we had to stand and fight against the enemy to take in his life. And we fought, thank God, and we won. Now he's seven years old, living in London, of all things. But he picked on my grandchildren. And even now, he may pick on my children. And my children are still my children, though they may be 40 years old. They're my children. And if he can't get to me, he may get to them. And if he gets to them, it's going to get to me. And we got to pray. For the home team. And we're going to do that in just a moment. we got some folks who are going to represent the Walker family. Brent, we're going to pray for you in just a minute. My next point is you got to pray for the church team. Everybody in this church, God's got a place for you. If you're on the worship team, if you're on the elder team, the doorkeeper team, children's ministry team, youth team, we're a team. I love that little Together, everyone achieves more. It sounds trite, but it's true. Together, everyone achieves more. And you, you got a place on this team. And I'm praying for you. You know, I pray for you often. That's my next point. You got to pray often. I pray for you often. I'm praying for your pastor almost every day when I'm in my early morning. And when I pray for him, I pray for you. I pray for this church. I'm praying often. And then the last thing I want to say, you got to pray for his rest. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. When Elijah had confronted the prophets of Baal, 
had a great victory on top of the mountain. He came down off the mountain, and what happened? Jezebel came looking for him and said, What you did to my prophets, I'm going to do to you. And he took off running, scared to death of one woman. And he ran, and he ran, and he ran, till he got so weary, he fell asleep. A few moments, an angel came and woke him up. said, Eat this food right here. He ate that food and fell back asleep. Angel came back, oh, eat, eat some more of this because it's going to carry you for 40 days. What did Elijah need? He needed some rest. Every once in a while, we all need rest. We just need to be still and know that he's God. And I encourage you, pray for your pastor. Pray for that you'll find the rest you need in God. Now then, we're going to pray. I want the Weir family that's here, Trino family that's here, come, come down and stand at this altar. And I want everyone in this church, if you're part of this church, or you don't even have to be a part of this church, I want you to, y'all come stand right here. Because Sam and Beverly aren't here today, but, and, and you're the home team. We're going to pray for you guys. Would you join me? Down here in this altar. Will you just come? Just join me here. That's my invitation. Come join me. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. A Roman soldier had two shields. One was a small shield that he used to quench fiery darts or rocks thrown at him. He would be able to quench that himself, and, and he had to do that. But then there was a larger shield that they would take into battle, and they would create a what is known as a tortoise shield. Now, I think I might have that. Do we have that picture right there? There it is right there. They would create, everyone would put up their shield together. Some would be on top, some would be on this. And the fiery arrows that would come and the rocks that were being thrown from the walls wouldn't touch anybody that was covered like this. And especially those, and if they wanted to protect somebody, they would put them in the middle and those shields would go up. You know what? Every one of you has one of those shields. And God wants you to lift it up for you, for your family, for your pastor, for his wife, for his family. And I want us to, come on, y'all, some of you come around here because we're going to really, we're going to circle up here. Oh, look here. Look here. We got some more. And we're going to pray. And I'm going to believe God that the enemy doesn't play fair. Guess what? We're not going to play fair either. He comes at us with one. We're going to just takes took one angel to kill 185,000. He comes at us with full force. We're going to come back harder. Need every one of you to fight this battle because it's real. It's intensified, and we need to intensify our efforts in prayer. Because I guarantee the devil's fighting everybody here. And he doesn't play fair and I, I don't like it. But guess what? Greater is he that's in me than he that's within the world. So let's pray. Let's gather around this family. And then we're going to pray for you. Father, we do gather around this family, this home team, if you would. And Lord, we lift up our shield of faith. And Lord, today we quench the fiery darts 
of the enemy that's coming at them. I pray for Pastor Sam and Beverly. Lord, I thank you that you're protecting them this very moment. Lord, you're with them right now. We pray for them. We cover them. Lord, we pray for his family, for his daughters, for his son, for his son-in-laws, for his grandchildren. Lord, we pray a hedge of protection about them, angels to surround them. Lord, we pray that as they walk in that protection, Lord, they will begin to fulfill their assignment that you called them to fulfill. Lord, there's an assignment to fulfill right here in this community. Lord, may you give them strength. Lord, we pray for them, and as you bring them to our remembrance, we'll often pray for them. And Lord, may they find rest for their souls. Let it be, Lord. Now let's pray for each other. Can we do that? Father, I pray for everyone standing in this altar. Lord, I know the enemies fought them. Some of them were facing a battle this morning. but They had enough faith to get to the house of God. Lord, they had enough faith to lift up their hands and worship. Enough faith to pray. Enough faith to come into this altar. And Lord, I'm declaring that you're protecting them. Lord, that each one of them are going to find their assignment and fulfill what you've called them to do. Lord, they are going to be strong in the Lord and the power of your might. Lord, they're going to be a part of the team, Lord, that's going to accomplish more. Lord, I pray for them, and I will pray for them often. And Lord, I thank you for rest. Lord, I thank you for grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen to me. Let's fight this fight together. Can we do that? Can't do it by myself. I need you. Would you? I want to ask you to pray for me. Pray for me when you when I if I ever just come. I remember that bearded guy. He came to our. Uh, you know, think about it. You know, often people come to my mind. I think, well, they're nice folks. I don't know. The reason God brings somebody to your mind is so you can stop right there. Just If it's just for five seconds, ten seconds, pray for them. Lord, I pray for them right now. You're blowing my memory for a reason. Pray for them. God's going to bring you to my, your, your, me to your memory. You may not remember my name, but you're going to remember. Ooh, look at that. I'm going to oh, just start praying for me because I need it. God will bring your faces to me. I know he will. And I'll pray for you. I'll make that commitment. I'll pray for this church every day. I pray for you. Got a job to do. Satan knows his time's short. That means we don't have much time. Let's do what God's called us to do. How about it? You in it? You ready? Let's fight together. Amen. I need you. Would you look at your neighbor and say, Man, I need you. I need you. I need you, man. I need your shield. I need you. If there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus, whoo, this is a day to get to know Jesus. If you don't know Him, and all hell breaks loose, it's time. Lord, we pray for anyone in this room that doesn't know You. 
Lord, let this be the day they say yes to you. Someone that may be away from you, Lord, let this be a day. They just said, Lord, I want to come home to you. Lord, I want to be a part of the family that loves and protects one another. If that's you, you just call out to Jesus right now. Jesus, I need you. I want you. I'll come home to you. In Jesus' name, everybody say, Amen. Well, thank you for letting me come. Beverly, thank you for... This was the Lord.